0: adult music the podcast with music for the mature mind this is episode 149 i'm your co-host
1: russ and i'm your co-host mike 149 that's almost 150 next week yeah coming soon
0: actually we've already received our 150 badge from podbean including our seven interview episodes so it's just
1: uh, academic at this point all right we don't number the uh, interviews we don't count them as part of the special special
0: and lots of music coming out already this year, so we're not going to have any shortage of new material to talk about in these episodes. As always, bringing you six releases every week, three classical and three jazz. The Most interesting new music, and you can hear it first on the Adult Music Podcast and in the episode description for all the music that we're going to discuss. You can find links to Spotify and Apple Music. Also at the top of the description, there's a link to the full episode playlist. It's all the music in one place on Deezer. That's CD quality streaming music from France. Catch the podcast there as well if you want to get everything in one place. Now, if you don't see the full description or recording list or the links aren't easy to follow on whatever platform or app you listen to us on, you can always come over and check us out on our host site. That's Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. Everything's easy to follow there. If you enjoy the podcast, please follow or subscribe, tell a music loving friend. And if you take a moment to give us a ranking or write a review, that helps us get listed in the category recommendations. And Mike, we're back in the recommendations on Apple.
1: Ah, they like us again, huh? It's been
0: a while, yeah. Well, they shrunk everything down and the music commentary Mm. includes a lot fewer podcasts, but we're included. So if you have a moment and you like the podcast, If you will go over there and write a little review, we've only got seven. Just leave a review or give us a five-star ranking. Or just
1: give us five stars. Yeah, that helps
0: us out and will keep us up and get noticed because downloads have been up this year, going along really nicely so far. So that's really good to see. We also have a page over on Facebook. You can come over to get extra info and new releases throughout the week. I put a bunch up because Friday was a big jazz release day. We're going to get a couple of those in next week's episode as well. So you can comment, leave a message there. See our handsome faces and my whiskey collection in the photo there. If you want to uh, contact us
1: directly with any comments. my whiskey collection has only expanded since that photo was taken. it It
0: doesn't fit in my cabinet anymore. And if you'd like to get in touch directly with any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is adultmusicpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. We also want to mention, as always, our friends over at The Same Difference, two jazz fans, one jazz standard podcast. That's AJ and Johnny who look at several versions of the same jazz standard in each episode, and they play snippets from the versions, discuss the history of the original, and then talk about what they like and don't like about the different versions. You get a history lesson and a lot of laughs along the way. There's a link oh, yeah. to their podcast in the description. If you stick around to the end of our podcast, you can check out their little audio promo as well. Well, this week, Mike, we lost a very interesting musical oh. figure, hmm. and we've got to talk
1: about it. We're both big fans of this guy. Yes. Yeah. So let me just um, get over to the piano. Here is that going to be on the? Uh, <laughs> is, that, is that knuckle <laughs> cracking going to be on? I'm going to leave it in the, the yet, podcast. Oh man. <laughs> so let me roll over to the keyboard here. Go. Yeah, you probably should have uh, made that a more comical uh, yeah. playing of the <laughs> in this case, yes, DS-Irie, because we have lost the great Peter Schickele. He, he died at age eighty-eight, and he was a composer of uh, serious concert music. But he's most famous for the invention of and the composition of the um, yeah. the, the works of P.D.Q. Bach, right. the character he invented. Bach's least famous son, as he build, <laughs> as he built him, right. and he put out a lot of records of P.D.Q. Bach music. He he apparently spent a lot of time on this. Now there's sort of parodies of um right. the classical music uh, repertoire, and it goes into like jazz and pop as well, as well yeah. as just American popular song from the 19th century and the like. If you've never heard of P.D.Q. Bach work, I'm going to have to play one. But uh, he was, um, it kind of makes me sad in a way. He was 88 years old when he died. And it's, it's kind of sad because I think we're not going to hear musical parody like this ever again. Mm-hmm. Because parody like this requires a knowledge of the repertoire. Right. Which is something that we had then. At the time of P.D.Q. Bach and when we were growing up, there was no, um, you know, streaming or computers. And, you know, what was available was what was on record, basically, or what was played right. on the radio. So you all sort of had a sense of the same music, really. And mm-hmm. he was able to exploit that in his works. And what part of the comedy is to be able to uh, follow the themes. So I would recommend a PDQ Bach recording, An Evening with PDQ Bach, which is the first one he ever made back in 1965, I believe, or 68, wow. or it around in the late 60s. It's a live performance, and it sort of sounds like a 1960s live <laughs> performance of a classical work. You know, the audience is very loud. There's a lot of laughing, and I think that kind of adds to the atmosphere, although it does mask some of the music. You can also hear some of the ones that he released on the Tel-Arc label, which are very beautifully recorded, including the 1712 overture, um, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, one of my favorite uh, P.D.Q. Bach works. We normally don't play samples of um, deceased composers, but this is kind of special, and if you don't know what P.D.Q. Bach a peter shickley aka P.D.Q. Bach, does this will give you an example yeah let's hear it let me just let's hear a little bit of this here we go So we could hear a little bit of the, <laughs> um, yeah. we could hear a little bit of the Tchaikovsky 1812 Overture in there with the Marseillaise, and we also heard at the beginning "Pop Goes the Weasel," which kind of fits into that <laughs> melody right. and framework really well. I unfortunately came in right at the punchline, so we didn't get the setup. <laughs> but there's a load of. Um, great musical quotes and just, just funny mm-hmm. stuff in that work. That's the 1712 Overture, and that's available on Tel-Arc Records. It's a really nice recording. It's not live. I also recommend An Evening with Peter Kubak, the first one. That was on Vanguard Records, so listen to that. They're all on streaming. They'll make you smile, and in fact, just listening to that <laughs> just makes me smile, too. It just makes me a little more sad that uh, we've lost Peter Schickley. One more thing before I um, leave this topic. Peter Schickley also composed a lot of serious concert music that we never hear. Now that he's gone, it might be a good idea for um, some enterprising label. How about, uh, like, the Naxos label? Because they have an American Composers series to put out a record of Peter Schickele's serious concert music. I, for one, would like to hear it. I want to know what it sounds yeah. like. Yeah, because, you know, PDQ Bach sort of overshadowed his, um, you know, more serious pursuits.
0: I remember seeing him on television when I was a kid. He's like very making funny. music yeah. with, like, paper towel tubes and cutting straws. And uh, he also, <laughs> if you haven't seen this, you got to check this out. He also invented a few instruments of his own, one of which is called the trombone. <laughs> it's a trombone-bassoon hybrid. <laughs> the trombone. Go check that out. Uh, I think you can find that on YouTube as well.
1: Yeah. On the Evening with PDQ Bach album, being that it's a live performance, he introduces each work. And he's he's really funny. Yeah. Because he sets up the life of P.D.Q. Bach and things like this. He's a musicologist as well as a composer. Right. So, but And he does this in serious, you know, musicological style, except that it's <laughs> completely off the wall. Right. It's really great. Anyway, so check that out, and rest in peace. Peter Schickele. we miss you greatly.
0: All right, well, before we get into the main program this evening, we're going to play some musical samples as always. So here's our fair use disclaimer. Musical sample clips are for commentary and educational purposes. We recommend that listeners listen to the complete recordings, all of which are available on streaming services in the links provided. We also suggest that if you enjoy the music, you consider purchasing the CDs or high-quality downloads to support the artists.
1: Okay, so let's go on. Now, I thought I generally like to... My my kind of format for classical music is to have like Baroque and then like kind of between Baroque and contemporary and then try to get a contemporary uh, right. composer in there. So this week, I, <laughs> I, I really didn't do either, did I? But <laughs> kind of. Anyway, the first album is uh, Handle for Trumpet. Right. And this is by uh, Jonathan Freeman Atwood on the trumpet, Anna zaluca on the piano, and a few tracks include Tom Freeman Atwood on a trumpet duet. We'll talk about him when he appears. This is on the Lynn label. Yeah, they Lynn make all records. those
0: expensive stereo components, you yeah. know. Lynn does. Yes.
1: Yeah. They, they also have a. Yeah, they were doing like Super Audio CD for a while, for a while too. And yeah. they still do occasionally, but they're mostly CD now. The CD, by the way, has it says on this will sound best on a Lynn. <laughs> of yeah, course, so it they would. actually yeah, write that on the sure. CD. Well, why not? Handle for Trumpet is the 10th solo project for Lynn's reimagining repertoire for trumpet mm. and piano. The, the trumpet, you're a trumpet, trumpet yes. player, and um the trumpet doesn't get a lot of uh, solo repertoire, or at least it didn't before the 20th century, yeah, and really you know, it still doesn't. When know. I was
0: studying, you had the Haydn, Hummel, and Hindemith. That was the big three. Oh,
1: yeah. And
0: I'm a little jealous because now, well, we have things like this, but we've also had a few recordings we've done on the podcast finding all these old forgotten Baroque works and yeah. you know, lots of other news transcriptions and things that just weren't easy to get your hands on back 30 years ago.
1: They didn't even exist, really, a lot of times 30 years ago. And this is what uh, part of what this project is about. There was a recording 10 years ago called A Bach Notebook for Trumpet with music by Bach and family members, you know, his family members, Mm -hmm. uh, not PDQ, but CPE (laughs) and uh, JC and some of the other ones, played on a modern chromatic trumpet and a grand piano, which, of course, didn't exist at the time Bach was alive. Right. You know, the, that's part um, of the
0: problem. Right.
1: Neither the trumpet nor the piano. So when we listen, well, not the chromatic trumpet, let's just say. So when we listen to albums in this series, even the valve trumpet, because the trumpets then had holes in them, you kind of right. c- covered the holes. That That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> People played
0: those. Yeah, but now there's people who are really masters of these recreations too, as we heard. Oh, yeah,
1: before. we've seen some yeah. and they're, they're astonishing. Yeah, it's right. really something. Okay, so when we listen to albums in this series, including this one, we're listening not only to the sound, but to the invention of a performance practice where the work's defining ingredients are viewed through a fresh, critical lens, that according to the notes. And there's a lot of truth to that. This is really new music in a way, although Mm. they're old melodies. Right. Okay, because music, there was never music that sounded like this uh, back in the Baroque era. Okay, so Jonathan Freeman Atwood himself is series editor for Resonata Music's The Reimagined Trumpet which among other pieces uh, has newly configured sonatas by Schumann, Mendelssohn, and Fauré and includes them. So you can play all mm. of these um, great uh, melodic things on the trumpet. It would be a, a good thing to do. I want to say something. You said you mentioned Hummel. Like there's a Hummel trumpet right. work. And you think, oh, well, you know, Beethoven was the big composer of the time and then there was Mendelssohn. But Hummel should be better known. Better known, yeah. I think, yeah. Cause he's, he's overlooked. A, he really is overlooked. He's a great composer. He just had the misfortune to be alive that time, at the same yeah. time as beethoven <laughs> he was beethoven's student in fact um beethoven actually was uh taught him at one point but it's good music i mean we should hear yeah. more of it okay so anyway let's uh listen to this This is a very long album actually it's yeah. seventy-one eight minutes anyway but let's see it's a combination of uh sonatas taken from some of the concerti grossi by handel and opera arias or cantata arias not cantata what would you say oratorio arias mm. let's say Okay, so we start out with a song, Ritorna Ocaro, which is an aria from Roda Linda, uh, Handel, HWV19. Now, I want to say something about these um, Handel oratorios and operas. We didn't even know about these when we were younger. <laughs> yeah. You know, because we would hear, like, Messiah. And, I don't know, maybe one or two arias from, like, you know, Belshazzar's Feast or something like that. But scholars have done amazing work, you know, as with Vivaldi, just digging up all of these... Um, operas and then just restaging them and editing them and Hmm. they're all recorded now it's it's really amazing so we have this really full portrait of like Handel's activity during his lifetime that's only happened in the last 30 40 years really amazing since the 80s I think it really took off anyway this song has a simple Siciliano accompaniment to it in the piano and you almost expect to hear a voice come in of course but we get the trumpet the tone is steady clean sounding, it seems a bit fast for an operatic aria, the melody and its contours being focused on more than the emotional content, or at least that's what I felt. It's appropriate in Baroque music to have such a steady rhythm, but I feel a bit more languor could have been introduced in this opening track. The overall sound, though, is pleasing. Okay, then we get to the first of the instrumental works, well, they're all instrumental works, but this is one of the first one that was specifically written as an instrumental work. Tracks 2 through 6, Sonata number 1 in F major. After Concerto Grosso in F major, Opus 3, Number 4. Okay, now Handel wrote uh, two sets of Concerti Grossi, which means like basically it's an orchestral work for mm-hmm. a Baroque orchestra. Opus 3 and Opus 6, you'll want to remember those numbers because they're really famous. This is Opus 3, Number 4, HWV 315. The notes um, say this is an exercise in sturdy cheerfulness and extraversion. Huh. And <laughs> those are Stanley Sadie's words, and they're. They're pretty interesting words. Okay, I think that's a it's a good description. Anyway, we get the first movement, track two, Andante, which is kind of a speedier French overture. I'm really surprised, actually, at the speeds being used here. They're all a little on the fast side. Uh, the melodic line comes through clearly with all of its contours, and I think this really accentuates the melody. It doesn't really take the mm. any kind of the languorous nature out of it, but it just kind of gives a sense of like contour and things like that. Maybe it has something to do with the instrument itself. I'm not really sure. Track three this is a movement two, Allegro which is a fugue. Fugues often follow a, a French overture or an overture. The trumpet introduces the theme and the piano picks it up as the second voice. Usually you hear fugues all played in the same timbre or between different sections of the orchestra to isolate each of the voices. But here one line is the trumpets and the piano gets the rest of them. And that's really weird because the line shouldn't stand out. You know, one line shouldn't really right. stand out. They should all be even. I think it's the whole idea of like democracy and equality of the. It was a representation of that in the Baroque era. We zero in on, of course, on the trumpet line though, because it's a different timbre. And the piano really isn't accompaniment here because he's playing the other, you know, fugal lines. Yeah. This entire program so far is giving us a new perspective on Handel's compositions. This certainly does. It's interesting. And then we get to track four, the Andante, and again, I'm surprised here at how pianistic the piano's part is, because it's originally written for an orchestra. It's expressive with the trumpet coming in with a highly sustained melody. There's an intro to the next movement at the end of this, and I haven't sampled any of this yet, so let's start with this. Let's hear our first sample of this album. This is track four. and we'll have to leave that melody behind right there. Let's just go on to the next track, Allegro. This is track five, movement four. Uh, This has a fugal opening too, with the trumpet introducing the repeated note theme, easy to identify in the texture. And this arrangement works well with the modern instruments, so I want to sample this one too. It's impressive enough to hear the trumpet managing those, you know, quick lines, but try to imagine you know, one of the trumpets no valves, back, from back, back in the day. Oh, boy. Anyway, I don't think that would have been played by the trumpet, though. Probably would have been strings. I'm not really sure how this was orchestrated in the Concerto Grosso. Movement 5, track 6, is the last movement. Menuetto. Again, the rhythm is taken at a quick speed, and I wonder if there's a technical reason for that. Anyway, it goes by at an enjoyable pace, and the melody is appealing and straightforward. Track 7, we get a song, Nel Pasar Da Lacho Al Altro, which is from uh, Giove in Argo, or Jupiter in Argo, HWV A14. The piano intro is smooth and muted. The trumpet comes in with a melody which is appealing and well-shaped by Freeman Atwood. Again, this is played as a melody without knowledge of the words, <laughs> which would affect the interpretation, <laughs> right. right? So we only get the melody here. It comes across like a straightforward Baroque instrumental piece he must know the words because i think you that's part of your preparation mm-hmm. you would um you know look at the text and sort of interpret like that but in a way there's no need to do that <laughs> you're just <laughs> playing an instrumental version of the piece track 8 prelude allemande and fugue from suite number 3 in d minor hwv 428 the piano starts with this highly figured prelude meaning it has a lot of figuration the trumpet eventually comes in with a slower melodic theme which the piano accompanies with rippling lines. We get into the more melodic allemande shortly afterwards, and let's sample something from mid allemande, as it were. Set up for the fugue at uh, 4 minutes and 54 seconds, and then the uh, fanfarish fugue theme starts in the trumpet. Again, we focus on the trumpet's line with the piano taking all the other voices. Make sure to keep an ear on the pianist for that part because he's playing fugal lines too, and he's important, or she in this case. Tracks 9 through 12, sonata number 3 in E flat major. After organ concerto in F major, the cuckoo and the nightingale. Mm. HWV 295. And this was described in the notes as recreational <laughs> <laughs> i'm just thinking of all these other things that are considered to be recreational hmm. anyway track nine movement one of ghetto starts with a slow theme in the piano lightly poignant the trumpet repeats it when it comes in with a quieter tone than we've been hearing track 10 movement two allegro has a more ebullient rhythm and dynamic from the piano the trumpet takes up the rather brash theme which requires some virtuosity from freeman atwood as it goes on We hear a cuckoo imitation in this one, and it makes me wonder what this sounds like on an organ. It's a fun movement. Let's sample it from about the 52nd mark. imitation in there yeah. twice, once at the beginning and once towards the end track 11, movement 3 uh, larghetto, the piano opens this with a lightly haunting rhythm and theme, the trumpet plays the melody again this time legato and this continues with the piano often repeating the trumpet's melody, the piano adds a bit of expression in the form of light slowing of the rhythm at the end of phrases and there's a setup for the next movement, the allegro track 12, and this is the final movement of this work This also moves at a pleasant speed, has a cheerful feel to it. I personally think this work is collectively the most successful transcription on the album so far. It works very well for the trumpet and piano, and I'd like to sample the beginning of this final movement. spirits. Track 13, Where You Walk, an aria from Semele, uh, HWV 58. The melody here suits the trumpet's tone well. The piano really is accompaniment here. The melody is positively anthemic. I've been avoiding the song so far, so let's sample this. Those short uh, song-like phrases in that. Alright, track 14. Vetsi e ebrio. An aria from Ariodante. HWV33. This has more of a lift in its step, the piano setting the mood. The trumpet here does well to carry the rhythm along with the melody. It's a pretty brief piece and lively throughout. Track 15. Se il mio amor fu il tuo delitto. A duet from Berenice. HWV mm. Thirty-eight. Now this is the first duet on the album and Tom Freeman Atwood is the second trumpet It has a cheerful feel to it, and it's the first of the th- of three duets that we're gonna hear It's really hard to tell the two trumpets apart. So seamless are the trade-offs of lines When they play in harmony though is when you realize you're hearing two instruments. It actually kind of sounds like mm. just one person until that happens Their trill during the cadence is remarkably even too. In the second minute we go into a bridge And then the opening repeats. Again, the ensemble at the end is remarkably even, and I'll give you a sample of that. Oh, and a big long pause there too. How about that? All right, track sixteen through nineteen, sonata number two in F minor, after Concerto Grosso in A minor, Opus six, number four. So this is from Handel's great Opus six Concerto Grosso set. This one is described as more Arcadian, and it is an essentially orchestral work. Track sixteen, movement one, Larghetto affettuoso has a yearning theme in the trumpet starting us off. It gets a little livelier as the movement goes on, and we come back to the yearning tone at the end. We're set up via an open cadence for the next movement, and this is a fugue, track 17, or maybe fugato movement, with the piano often picking up the trumpet's theme. It's a lively, appealing melody and carries its opening momentum throughout. Let's hear the opening of that. Again, what's weird about that is all the voices are equally important, yet because you're hearing the trumpet in one of them, you're focusing on that, so it's it's sort of an odd thing. Track 18, Largo e Piano, starts quietly in the piano with the trumpet playing in a soft, more diffused tone. It brightens up afterwards, singing out the melody with piano remaining at a comfortable volume beneath. This ends with an open cadence, and track 19, Movement 4, Allegro, a dance-like final movement with strong accents. The trumpet's ornaments are impressively quick and clear here, lively rhythm, and playing throughout. Track 20, another aria, with the The Unsheltered Moor I'd Tread, from Solomon, HWV67. This has a soft piano introduction, and the trumpet takes a quieter tone here to play the melody. The melody itself is touching, but again, I think Freeman Atwood doesn't try to wring any extra emotion out of it. Uh, The melody itself provides all the emotion. He probably doesn't have to in this case. Track 21, Brilla Nel Alma, a duet from Alessandro, HWV21. This is a duet with Tom Freeman Atwood. The piano has a lively introduction, and the first trumpet plays the theme, while the second comes in with fanfare-like counterpoint. Let's just hear the opening of this work. Okay, sorry to fade out of that just as it's getting going. The piano's got a continuous quick moving line throughout. Uh, Zaluca keeps the energy up so that the duet between the trumpets can stay lively. It's a cheerful piece in performance and I should mention this has been a spacious recording as well with a lot of room for each instrument to fully register its tone. I do want to commend the playing of anna zaluka on this where she's really lively throughout really keeps the energy moving in her accompaniments and most of what she does is accompaniment on this album tracks 22 through 26 are sonata number four in a major after concerto a due cori in b flat major hwv 332 track 22 the overture clearly played french overture rhythm though perhaps a bit fast again I think this is necessary due to the absence of the orchestra. The trumpet puts across the regal quality of this work effectively. Track 23, Allegro Manon Tropo. This sounds like and the glory of the Lord from Messiah. And in mm. fact, it is. I wonder which came first, if this was um, originally like written with words or if he right. added the words later. The melody is clear and well shaped in the trumpet and the piano provides full toned chords in its accompaniment. And there's a nice fanfare at the end of the trumpet. Alright, I'm gonna sample this and I want you to listen. If you know your messiah, you'll recognize this right away. You know how that one goes. Yep. Indeed. <laughs> Track 24, third movement, Allegro, is a quickly paced allegro with the piano busy in the accompaniment and the trumpet has some quick fanfare like lines. Track 25, Alla breve moderato, the piano outlines a bass line which is repeated above in fugal fashion. The trumpet comes in as the third voice. The accompaniment becomes imitative once again and the trumpet's melody is fully established. And the final movement, movement five, track 26, minuet. This is a rather rollicking minuet, played almost at jig speed. It's lively and a good send off for this piece. Let's hear a bit of this. Can't menuette to that. It's too fast. (laughs) Sounds great, though. Track 27, To Thee, Thou Glorious Son of Worth, a duet from Theodora HWV68. This is with Tom Freeman Atwood, and it's the final duet of the album. The piano gets a long intro, and the trumpet finally comes in after 30 seconds. The second trumpet tends to lag behind by a measure, repeating the first trumpet's phrases. It's got a canon quality, but I'm not really sure it's a canon. They occasionally come together in harmony, and that's why it's not a canon. The ensemble is again excellent, even in the matching of tone and dynamic. And track 28, the final track on the album, Bel Piacere, aria from Agrippina, HWV6. It's a sprightly, quick and brief track. The trumpet has some impressive unison thematic figuration with the piano. It's an odd aria, completely unharmonized under the trumpet, and it ends the album on a cheerful note. So let's end our discussion of this on a cheerful note as well. Yeah, so the uh <laughs> unison yes yeah. how about that so this hub gives us a new perspective on handel's compositions inevitable given the instrumentation which consists of all modern instruments that were alien to handel's time jonathan freeman would focuses on his beautiful smooth tone and his shaping of the melodies in the playing he doesn't color the tone much and that makes for a long listen for the same tone in a 79-minute album. <laughs> Still, there's enough variety of texture on the album to keep the listener engaged. It's a pleasant listen all the way through. I think what's really on display here are the arrangements. You can hear the work and the love that went into making them, and you get the impression that they would be like fun to play, both for the trumpeter and the pianist. It's sort of unusual. They wouldn't usually get a chance to perform music like this. The pieces sound inviting. Maybe they'll inspire listeners who play the trumpet to take them on. Personally, I prefer these works in their original guise, but Freeman Atwood demonstrates that, as with box music, Handels translates well to newer and even alien timbres. It's an enjoyable and even relaxing listen.
0: You know, I recognized his trumpet sound. Was, mm-hmm. My ear is just tuned to individualistic trumpet tones, and I realized I have another one of his recordings from 2013. It's called Trumpet Mask." He has a really great tone. It's kind of compact, but clean, lots of great technique and finesse. And I can appreciate making more works part of the trumpet repertoire, you know, that for historical reasons and physical limitations of the instrument was limited in scope. So it's nice to have even this old Baroque music brought in and heard Mm -hmm. in a new way, like you say. There's a lot more here than I could really appreciate at a single listening. The 70 right, minutes is yeah. a lot. You may want to break it up. It all is really enjoyable. And I'd like to also give credit to Anna Zaluca for doing a really fine job stylistically making piano sound really fit to this time period she really shapes things and gets the articulation really nice and it really blends with the trumpet and two trumpets which in these duets are you know really a lot of fun as well so i enjoyed it and it's interesting to hear this new perspective on handel's music
1: yeah and i i second that emotion <laughs> i Smokey <don't> know <laughs> okay smoky. I, I a Lucas, yeah a little smoky robinson yeah there. Uh, I seconded that emotion on uh, Anna Zaluka's piano playing. It was mm. really impressive all the way through and really added a lot to yeah. the album, I thought. Okay, our second classical album is by an Uzbek pianist named Azad yeah. Abduraimov, and I hope I said that correctly. I didn't check this one. This one features uh, music by Prokofiev, Ravel, and Saidaminova. Dilorum Saidaminova, also an Uzbek composer, a woman Uzbek Mm. Uzbek composer, who is contemporary. She's uh, currently Mm. with us here. This album is called Shadows of My Ancestors. By the way, Saidaminova and Abduraimov are both born in the same city in Uzbekistan, uh, Tashkent. Mm. Anyway, this is on the Alpha label. Now, I should mention... I'm aware of Abduraimo's playing from an album that came out in 2021, which featured uh, Debussy's Children's Corner, all 24 of the Chopin Preludes, which usually <laughs> is an album by itself, right? And then Mussorgsky's Pictures at an Exhibition. Wow, that's all in one album. And that was when we first started the podcast. And it was one of, on my early list of things we should talk about, and we never did it. Yeah. And I think the reason is because I didn't want to hear all 24 Chopin <laughs> Preludes at the time. But now I sort of wish I did because. The performance he gives on that album of the uh, pictures of, at an exhibition, yeah, the final movement is uh, called The Great Gate of Kiev. It's this orchestral piano chords, they're gigantic, and you have to be this um, pianist able to produce enormous mm-hmm. volume out of the and instrument, and yeah. <laughs> abdur is our man. <laughs> yeah. In this case, he does just that. He puts across that difficult-to-put-across um, piano work extremely well. Now, McSorsky's Pictures at an Exhibition is best known for its um, orchestration by Ravel. Uh, so right. we, know, we usually know it like that. But a lot of pianists have taken it on. And that last movement, it needs a lot of volume and power, and abdur was able to do that. So I was curious to hear this. That's worth hearing. And so is this. Let's go through yeah. these um, <laughs> these albums. So, yeah, this is a pianist to keep an ear out for, it looks like. The first 10 tracks are arrangements by Sergei Prokofiev of 10 pieces from his ballet, Romeo and Juliet, Mm -hmm. opus 75. So you're usually familiar with this from its orchestration from the ballet, but it was arranged for piano as well. Okay, the first movement is a folk dance, and it's a tarantella. (laughs) which <laughs> unusual for Verona, time to tell right. us from Naples. but it opens Act 2 of the ballet and it provides a glimpse of life in Verona. It's beautifully recorded and has a rich full sound. Details come through clearly, partly due to Abduraimov's separation of the voices in the two hands, which is really spectacularly clear. I also like the way the marching droning bass is characterized here. There are a lot of dotted rhythms, perhaps drawing a picture of trotting horses. It's a rhythmically vibrant performance, and that's going to be key throughout. He really does draw the rhythm out of all of these works exceptionally well. Let's hear a sample of the beginning of this track and album. of extremes of dynamic in that too. We had that loud opening chord followed by the really quiet and beautifully articulated quieter section. Track two, scene. Adapted from La rue in the ballet. Staccato opening and again, Abdurremov shows he's attentive to putting the rhythm across. The clarity of all the voices really is remarkable. Track three, a minuet. This is the arrival of the guests at the Capulet's Ball where Romeo meets Juliet or sees her for the first time. This has a bit of a noble bearing to it. One can imagine the well-dressed guests entering the chamber. There's a B and C section that are both quieter and more elegant, perhaps suggesting private comments among the guests. Abdurimov again, is very attentive to keeping the rhythm lively. Track four, Young Juliet. She's a bit mischievous in this setting. <laughs> there are rushing scales and accented chords to characterize her young energy, and, which is kind of all over the place too, I guess like a young girl's <laughs> would be. Abdurimov manages to make the individual notes of the fast figuration audible individually. He seems to play with very discreet pedal. There's a B section that's quieter and a little sweeter, perhaps with the use of the de pedal. At a minute and 16 seconds we hear a music box like melody perhaps characterizing Juliet's you know softer romantic side and I'm going to sample that let's hear a little bit of this I don't recall the ballet very well, but that may be the moment she meets Romeo or first puts eyes on him. Mm. It's got a little bit of the, um, if you know the Franco Zeffirelli film, that song, A Time for Us, which is actually sung in this scene. It's got the same sort of quality to it. So I wonder if um, whoever wrote that song, Hmm. maybe Henry Mancini, but I'm not really sure. But he may have known this ballet. Abdurimov gets an exquisite quiet sound, as you heard at that point, and I'm already very impressed by the variety of touch and sounds he can get out of the piano, we're only four tracks in. There's a, quite a bit of variety in this section of the score. Track 5, Masks. This has percussive accents with an arrogant andante marchale, full of bitter remarks. This is Prokofiev in a more mechanical, ugly mode, he was fond of doing that. <laughs> And Abdurimov seems to favor the staccato. You got to remember, like classical music was always um, characterized by the beauty of its lines. And you know, in the Romantic era, and then in the twentieth century, composers started introducing like ugliness into music as part of their expressive mm. palette. And Prokofiev was one of those composers. Abdurimov seems to favor the staccato as his base of expression here. Uh, he gets the light harshness of the chords to register while maintaining an attractive overall tone. Let's hear a little bit of this. strong accents on those harsh Mm. chords kind of Shostakovich would pick that up as well later on track six Montagues and Capulets featuring the renowned Allegro pesante that accompanies the charged violence between these families this is one of the themes we think of when we hear this ballet when we see the ballet so let's just sample that on the piano (laughs) <laughs> at the end of that phrase. It's played with menace and a bit of harshness. It translates well to the piano, though it loses a bit of the menace the orchestra is able to put across. Abdurimov plays this at a tempo that's a bit on the quick side, and there's a highly contrasting quiet middle section that Abdurimov plays with sudden surprising quietness. Track 7, Friar Lawrence. This is a noble portrait, very quietly played opening with a 1-2 feel. It's a comfortable movement, sketching the calmness and practical nature of the character, and the piece just suddenly ends. Track 8, Mercutio. Mercutio is portrayed with uncontained energy, spilling out into constantly changing key areas. There's a more subdued middle section, and then when the opening section repeats, it features more dynamic figuration. Track 9, Dance of the Girls with Lilies. This is done for Juliet, who is now sworn to marry Paris. It has a repeated note opening, then a light hypnotic dance melody and harmony. Abduramov plays this with a light touch, making it easy to visualize the light steps of the dancers. And track 10, the last movement of this 10-movement work, Romeo and Juliet before parting. This is the longest movement of the suite. The lovers in the early hours of the morning, their passionately melancholic farewell. Romeo departs at the end of the movement. It's the longest movement of the suite. The opening has a hazy harmony well captured by Abduremov, indicating morning and miraculously light touch in the upper range of the piano for the melody. I really love the quality Abduremov achieves with the one-two ticking of the rhythm in the opening. At a minute and 45 seconds, the lovers speak and their passion and sorrow grows in a subtle crescendo up to about the 2 minute 40 second mark then a new earnest section full voiced starts at around the 3 minute mark and I want to sample that let's listen to this section So fairly romantic sounding, but Prokofiev can never Hmm. push himself completely into the (laughs) romantic. At 4 minutes and 15 seconds, this section acquires a more ornate accompaniment, giving it more urgency, though it's fairly slow. We hear the opening ticking rhythm reappear as the music quietens in the fifth minute. To put this across, Abduremov plays his go-to staccato attack, keeping his touch light, and this piece ends subtly and unexpectedly with a quiet sound. All right, tracks 11 through 18 are by the contemporary composer Dilorom Saidaminova. Uh, it's called The Walls of Ancient Bukhara. She's an Uzbek composer. She's contemporary. Saidaminova, like Abduraimov, as I mentioned at the beginning, was born in Tashkent in Uzbekistan. And there, there's nothing in the notes that indicates that they worked together or met each other. <laughs> but I imagine, you know, you moving in these so, circles, yeah. they must have, yeah. This work is written in homage to Mussorgsky's Pictures at an Exhibition. It offers a depiction and sound of the historic center of the Central Asian city founded four or five centuries before our era. Now, it may have been written in homage to Mussorgsky's pictures at an exhibition, but it sounds absolutely nothing (laughs) like it. The first movement, track 11, is called Mosque Kalon, and it evokes the chant of the mosque. It's pretty cool actually, it starts with a modal melody, played without harmony. There's not much substance to this though, it's on a piano, it's the evocation of the chant and it's a unison, it's just one note, there's no harmonization. This would have been better as a vocal, really. but uh, anyway we get that. It sounds kind of thin on the piano, but it's really cool because it's a modal harmony and I really enjoyed that. Second movement, track 12, Simonid Kingdom inspired by nomadic tribes of brave riders that inhabited, quote, our lands in the past, according to the composer. This has a rushing, exciting rhythm and a fairly complex set of rhythmic patterns. It's impressive playing from Abdurimov, who keeps all the threads clear and dynamically alive. Let's hear the opening of this. Abduraimov is really alive to the sudden like, yeah. rhythmic changes. Very impressive. Track 13, movement 3, Tomb of Ismail Samani. There's a very quiet tone on this with some perfume wafting through the harmony, especially on the twisting, rising figure in the high end. The harmony gets pretty opaque in this, but in the hands of a pianist like abdur it all comes across with great expression. There's a sudden fall in the dynamic in the second movement that pulls the ear in. I'd like to sample the beginning of this work. I probably should have sampled that right from the the higher voice comes in. But there's a bit of, um, I could hear a bit of pictures of an exhibition in that. Track 14, Movement 4, Domes. Seems to depict the reflection of the sun on the architecture of a city from the Thousand and One Nights. Clear chords at the beginning, followed by highly perfumed figuration in the high end. It has like a wafting quality to it, and there are all these extra sort of harmonic notes in it. This turns into a more solid set of lines afterwards. There's some impressive start and stop figuration from abdur in this movement. And let's hear the opening. there's something misty about that Mm. figuration that we just heard track 15 movement five minaret of death an allegro energico with heavy and threatening accents painting a picture of a tower from which condemned prisoners were thrown in sacks Boy, they were really horrible (laughs) to people back then you know I wouldn't want to be thrown off of anything in a sack, I don't think. Anyway, heavy bass notes and a fortissimo dynamic start the piece. There are counter-melodic lines, all of them aggressive and harsh. Track 16 is movement 6, Stars Over Bukhara. Nocturnal leggero shimmer whose stars shine brightly. This starts up right after the previous movement. It's gentle and mostly takes place in the piano's high range. The bass eventually comes down and adds a bit of heaviness to the movement. And the right hand conveys the twinkling of the stars in their light attack. Track 17, Shadows of the Ancestors. This is Movement 7 and the uh, sort of title uh, movement of the work. It's Andante con moto, and it's a musical depiction of drawings of tribal dancers on ancient walls. This section continues from the previous one as well. It's also quiet in its attack and highly muted in the mid-range. The higher range rings out a bit. Suddenly, at the 30-second mark, a heavy dance rings out of the bass end, and we get some harsh chords as well. The movement ends quietly. Track 18, the final movement, movement 8, at the walls of ancient Bukhara. It's a prayer. It's played quietly as an unharmonized melody, as was the call to prayer in the first movement. But harmony does come in at times. This is also modal in melody, and the prayer sort of drifts off at the end as though lost in the wind. It's an attractive piece, worth getting to know. Tracks 19 through 21, Maurice Ravel. Gaspar de la Nuit. This is one of the most difficult works in the repertoire and a real test for pianists. Anyway, track 19, Ondine, movement one. This recounts the attraction of a nymph for a mortal who is in love with someone else. It starts beautifully with well-defined water droplet figuration, no haze at all. We can hear all the detail and you need to decide whether that's good or not. So <laughs> let's listen <laughs> and make a decision. Now, as a student of this piece, I really love this, because you can hear every yeah. you know, subtlety of rhythm and every note that's played, but pianists will often give it like a more watery quality by adding a bit more pedal to it so that you can't really hear all the articulation that well. I like both, really, but I don't know which one's more effective. This is very effective, though, in Abduramo's hands. The movement is well-shaped, and the sudden changes of texture are magical and can make one sit up abdur conjures a lot of sounds in this movement. I'm really impressed with his facility in his touch and technique. The crescendo after 3 minutes and 30 seconds is impressively dramatic. At 5 minutes and 40 seconds, the big dramatic moment featuring a sudden swirling occurs and is taken, not with a sense of the diabolic, but with a fair amount of drama. Track 20, Le Gibet, the gibbet, which is kind of like a hangman's noose hanging from a, <laughs> from a... Hmm wooden frame. It's a tricky movement to put across. It doesn't change much harmonically and relies on its pianistic coloring and tempo must be absolutely steady throughout to put across the desolate, eerie atmosphere. Abduramov is up to this challenge, being very rhythmically attuned to everything he plays. The very light tone he gets at the three-minute mark is pretty astonishing and actually attractive. We hear this movement as shifting colors within the steady hypnotic rhythm just the way it should be. Okay, track 21, Scarbo. This is a real monster piece for pianists. Hmm. It's a leaping, nightmarish evocation of a diabolical dwarf. This is one of the most difficult works in the repertoire, and Abdurimov is using some pedal at the beginning to get the repeating notes to hold. At the 47 second mark, the piece really starts and is taken at an impressive speed, slightly on the fast side, especially considering (laughs) the difficulty. Let's hear that part. Let's just hear some of the uh, excitement that we're going to get in this piece. Peter notes that Follower played with subtlety, now with the louder drama that we often get. Duremov seems to want to play up the Dwarf's ability to appear and disappear, and is going for subtlety here. Once we get into the third minute, the high-speed figuration comes through with great detail registering, a hallmark of this pianist's style, and it's very impressive here. Changing rhythms are clearly outlined, and it allows us to understand how many quick changes there are in this movement. The thunderous left hand trills at 4 minutes and 30 seconds register strongly and with substantial menace. Abdurimov actually manages to give this rather quicksilver movement a sense of shape. There are a lot of trills and repeated notes that seem to overlap any kind of form, but the sense of quick changes holds the movement in the ear as segments in this performance. Pianists will often have these segments melt into each other, and Abduramov does that to an extent, but he's going more for contrast, a quality he seems to enjoy putting across judging by this entire album really. Considerable thunder is achieved in the fortissimi of the last minute, and the piece ends subtly. That's the end of the album. Abdurimov's playing is characterized by rhythmic vitality and clarity of line. This is the second album of his I've heard, as I mentioned, and I have to say I like the approach and overall sound. Said work is rather abstract in its portraiture of the various scenes of ancient Bukhara. It's evocative of the East in its use of modal harmony, the Near East, that is. It doesn't stick in the ear like it's inspiration in pictures, but perhaps it will on repeated listen. It did sound very appealing to me when I heard it. Those modal harmonies are slippery, after all. They don't really stay in the ear the first time. Ravel's Gaspard is put across with great sense of clarity and form, unusual for this piece. He seems to revel in the sudden changes of rhythm and puts them forward with great clarity this is a pianist to listen to, and this is really a great companion album to his first album, the one with Debussy, Chopin, and Mussorgsky on it. I was interested in his interpretations of all of these works, and I'm curious to know what's coming.
0: I found this a really interesting recording. We get to see several sides of Abdomarov's style, playful and percussive on the Prokofiev, modal mystery and miniatures on the side of Minova, with lots of contrasts. And the Ravel has some beautiful flowing moments, contrasted with huge, real explosions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> his playing energy and clear tone come through on all the different styles, and I was thoroughly entertained and captivated by his playing style.
1: You know, he'd be great if he'd put out a, like an album of Ravel's complete works. I'd really like yeah. to hear him in those, because I think he put them across really, really well. Let's hear some more. Yeah, I do like his creative combining of works, though. Mm. It was great, and he's a contemporary composer on that one, this one too, which just makes it even better. Right. All right, our final um, classical album of the evening is called "The Silk Road: Chamber Music for Winds," and this features works by Saint-Saens, Andre Caplet, and then we have two contemporary composers, Gisle Gvern who is Norwegian, and the Turkish composer Mert Karabay. This is rather an exploration of. The Silk Road, the road from Venice to uh, China. Right. And uh, all the countries in between. And there's a work about that. I'll explain it a little more when we get to the Cavern Dock work. It's performed by the Oslo Camera Academy with David Friedemann Strunk playing the oboe and also acting as artistic director. It's on the Lawo label. We haven't done them yet, have we? I don't think so. Hmm. I don't remember. Anyway, the first track, Camille Saint-Saëns' Orient et Occident, opus 25. This is arranged by Trond Olaf Larsson, who is a bassoonist in the ensemble. Anyway, this is marked Marsh Allegro, then Moderato assai Sostenuto, and then Allegro. This work was written on commission for a gala evening in connection with a major exhibition of oriental art. Hmm. It was composed for military band, it's subtitled Marsh, and is in three sections, a traditional march, in Western military style, with a lyrical second theme, an homage to the Janissary music of the Turkish army, with Moorish rhythms, use of pentatonic scale, and light percussion, and finally a fugue. Then the Oriental and marching themes are combined in a marching finale. I should mention, the word Oriental, when we think of it, we (laughs) often think of the Far East, China, Japan, right? But he means the Near East here, Turkey, you know, Uzbekistan and kind of it does eventually get to China but um anything outside of Europe basically and heading east would be oriental in this sort of world anyway the march theme in this work is pleasant and rather playful it's pretty straightforward really the lyrical second theme of the march starts at around a minute and 30 seconds and is flowing in style this lovely legato playing from the wind ensemble And at 2 minutes and 30 seconds, the Janissary theme unmistakably begins, and this would be the exotic section of this work for its audience. It has a bass drum and tambourine, and we're going to have to hear a little bit of that, aren't we? Now, I didn't play the sample the opening march, and I have to tell you, after the rather ordinariness of that, this comes across as really mm. colorful and interesting. Anyway, the winds play rather exotic pentatonic scales, immediately appealing and rather inspiring in their upright military feel. This sort of drifts off like it's an army passing by, but the wavering pentatonic melodies remain. Sanson divides his sections clearly, and by the 4 minutes and 48 seconds mark, the finale begins. A playful theme begins and takes on fugal form. By 6 minutes and 11 seconds, the Turkish drums and tambourines are heard again, and we hear a combination of west and near east in the diatonic and pentatonic scales, mostly diatonic in this section. Diatonic means major and minor scales, basically seven notes. A rather clever, rousing ending is heard, and it's a cute piece, suitable for its occasion, really just a curiosity, and it's played with conviction by the ensemble. Okay, that was the light work. This album is going to get heavier as it goes, (laughs) which is pretty interesting. The second uh, composer we hear is Andre Caplet, Suite Persan. So this would be modern Iran, but uh, Persian Suite from Double Wind Quintet. This is movements two through four. Now, Persian, but he doesn't stick there. The harmonies hint at Wagner, and the suite comprises (laughs) three miniatures, mood pictures inspired by the, and quotation marks, Orient. Orient here being the Near East. Okay, the second track, which is the first movement, is called Sharki, Cant d'Amour. It's possibly named after a warm wind of the Persian Gulf, but more likely refers to the Turkish Sarki, which means song. The unison Persian melody is converted to a theme that is harmonized in the late romantic vein. It starts with a modal theme, immediately drawing me in, of course. The entire theme is in unison until we finally hear harmony at around the 1 minute and 20 second mark. The piece suddenly snaps into Western mode here in the harmony, though the modal nature of the melody is still there. A lightly thumping rhythm begins towards the end of the second minute, then disappears. There's a swirling quality to the harmonization afterwards. Track three, movement two, Nihawend Andantino. Dantino. Nihawend is the name of a Middle Eastern makam. So we know what a makam is from... Mm. Uh, Blue from makams. Blue makams, the... Uh, or Braham album. Yeah. A maqam is a Middle Eastern melody type that forms the basis of composition. So it's really a modal. It's a set of modes. This piece has a pastoral feel. Modal harmony again at the beginning and spaciously harmonized here. Let's hear just a sample of this. This is a little more exotic than the, uh, the opening and a little more interesting too. so straightforward, a little exotic, and really appealing. Okay this theme that we just heard uh, repeats quite a bit in different timbral colors and harmonizations. At a minute and 22 seconds the movement takes off in a new direction, a bit more lively rhythmically, with fragments of the theme heard. It's enchanting all the way through. The final movement, Iskia Samaisi. Uh, The title may refer to a form of Sufi music and this movement is often assumed to depict the ritual of whirling dervishes. The music has a bit of a circling theme, sounding like it's being manipulated by swirling winds. It's lively, it calms down a bit by the third minute, where it searches harmonically for a stable point with fragmentary melodies. The music grows in drama as it goes on, and then the last minute, the excitable opening theme returns with all the energy it had at the beginning, excitingly played by the Oslo Kammer Academy. All three movements come across as intoxicating. Mm. <laughs> it's a word we often use. <laughs> when we, we think of the exotic, isn't it? Two contemporary composers. The first, Gistle Kvern Dok. Apologies for any mispronunciations. This is his work, The Silk Road, which this album is named after. It's a suite in 10 movements, and it was composed in the year 2017. Okay, Kvern Dok is Norwegian. He's a male composer. One of the compositions that Oslo Camera Academy has commissioned, illustrating the theme of cultural migration. The work is inspired by an imagined journey from Venice to China. Kaverndach has selected traditional songs from countries along his chosen route, and each movement represents one country with an arrangement of a folk melody. Okay, so the melodies are not by the composer, but he's arranged them into hmm. like a, a complete piece here. The first movement is Venice, Song of the Silk Merchants. It starts with a lilting, wave-like rhythm depicting gondolas on Venice's canals. It's an appealing opening, nicely harmonized too. Let's hear the opening. I have to say, I really like the harmonization in Yeah, this. Really gorgeous obo tone too. Yeah. Also, we think about exoticism. Venice is a pretty exotic city <laughs> itself, <laughs> even though it's in the west. Anyway, the watery feeling disappears as the song part starts. It's rather a slow song and ponderous. There's some fantastic low sounds in the ensemble, not least the bass note toward the end. Track six is from Turkey. Don't leave any hazelnuts on the tree. This continues on from the previous movement, and we hear a wave-like pattern in the rhythm. The theme is modal and appealing, as you'd expect from a folk song. Kaferndok's timbral combinations in these works is ear-grabbing. It tends to be heavy and opaque, but the textures are enticing. And by opaque, I mean there's no real space in the harmony. It just sounds like a solid wall (laughs) of sound. This movement suddenly ends, and we go to the third movement, track seven, Armenia. You are a plowman. The opening theme is played as a unison melody by a solo bassoon. At a minute and 43 seconds, strings suddenly introduce themselves, as do other instruments in the ensemble, to add atmosphere. The work moves on these long-sustained, almost droning tones that waver into other pitches. It's slow and hypnotic. Track 8, Azerbaijan. Shanpan Ragzi, a country dance. This is lively and immediately appealing in its modal harmony. Winds carry the thematic material throughout, trading amongst themselves. Let's sample this. This one kind of leapt out at me a bit. So you have all that chaos, but you also have this wonderful bouncing sort of bass line underneath it also. Listen for that as well. Track nine, the fifth movement, Iran, Kayam, and the Pots. The theme here is rather spare with a lot of repeated notes, rhythmically played. It relies a lot on reedy low instruments and is heavy on rhythm. So I really love the sound of this one because I love those low reeds. Again, there's some creative orchestration in the winds to give these already exotic melodies some exotic color. Track 10, Movement 6, Afghanistan, Atan, Nomad Dance. This is a compelling, reedy, quick-winding melody to a dance-like rhythm. Let's sample this one. That little uh, <laughs> sort of glissando. <laughs> Very subtle stuff going on in there, even though the rhythm is repeated in the melody. Track 11, Movement 7, Uzbekistan, Morning in the Desert. A heavily accented dance melody holds down the silky, wavering melody in the high ends, particularly the oboe. The reedy sound is essential for this melody. The texture changes for the middle part with lighter, dancing winds in the higher frequencies. Track 12, Movement 8, Kyrgyzstan, Shepherd's Melody. The horn duo mimics the sound of a traditional Kyrgyz flute. It starts with what I'm guessing is a low French horn playing solo. It's a slow, ponderous melody, the timbre putting it on the heavy side. And this becomes a duet as another French horn plays in answer and counter melody, and the melodies fade into the distance at the end. This kind of recalls, um, I think it's the third movement of Berlioz's Symphony Fantastique where we hear the two hmm. shepherds like playing to each other over the mountains. Track 13 is Movement 9, Mongolia Dance Melody. This starts with cloudy harmony in the winds. The dance itself has a light beat to it and a rather haunting melody. In the first minute a more marked rhythm comes in with high wind instruments. I'd like to sample that. slowly accelerating rhythm too. Mm -hmm. Wow a lot of interesting stuff going on. Finally track 14 we arrive in China for the last movement. I Love You, Snow in the North is the name of the tune. It starts with angular quarter note chords accompanying the melody. The theme is modal and very attractive. It almost sounds like an American folk song in its contour to be honest. It's got some icy harmony towards the end. At three minutes and fifty-eight seconds, like icicles, with the melody dripping off it, and the piece ends calmly. The final track, track fifteen, is by the Turkish composer Mert Karabay, "The Last Days of Sultan Selim III." Selim was Sultan at the time of the French Revolution. He was highly educated, a patron of literature, a poet, an accomplished musician, and a rather prolific composer. You know, basically what me and Russ would have liked to have been. <laughs> <laughs> We became um, podcast hosts instead. He was also interested in the politics of Europe and the reforms that were happening there during his reign. And this was to prove his downfall. He lost control of the powerful Janissary forces Mm. and began to reform the army using modern weapons and tactics. You would think this would be a good thing, right? When he attempted to expand his new army's area of control, the Janissary Corps and allied forces rose up against him eventually forcing his deposition in 1807. His last days were spent in captivity in the Ottoman palace, and on 28 July 1808, he was assassinated by men loyal to the new sultan, Mustafa IV. At
0: least we don't have to worry about that in podcasting.
1: Yeah, we have a much safer life. Yeah. By the way, if that story sounds familiar, if you read The the Count of Monte Cristo, his murder figures as one of um, The Count of Monte Cristo's enemies Like, is part of the force that betrays him, and uh, he gets his comeuppance at the end. Anyway, the melody after the pause after which the march is actually by Salim in this piece and forms the basis for the rest of the piece. We hear different musical layers superimposed on each other as Alamdar's army advances on Istanbul while Mustafa's soldiers approach. Menacingly, before the III meets his unfortunate and violent end. Yeah, I think everybody's end is unfortunate. That's such a, <laughs> yeah. that's such a weak word to, <laughs> to describe the end of someone's life. Oh, it's unfortunate. <laughs> it's unfortunate when it rains the day you plan a picnic. I mean, <laughs> it's unfortunate that your life ended violently. I don't know. Anyway, this starts with the oboe, and the rhythm comes in as a slow trudge with harmonies building up to harsh sounds. The oboe plays a plaintive theme. And the piece remains mournful throughout, needless to say, given its theme. Mm. Actually, let's hear a little bit of that, this kind of mournful melody. And I think this is by Salim himself, where it's adapted from a theme that he wrote. (laughs) ¶¶ At the end, there's an ominous march theme at the five-minute mark where the army arrives. The piece and album ends on a rather sad note with the last note cut off, along with Salim's life. (laughs) Anyway, traveling from Italy to China by the Silk Road would put you in touch with different spices, and this album does something similar, starting with a light, Sansan's work, and getting into some more modal foreign modes and timbres as it goes on. We get the feeling we're getting further and further from home as we listen, and the overall feeling is rather exciting, like that of travel to foreign lands that are new to us. It ends rather depressingly with Sultan Salim's death in Carabay's composition, but the journey is one of new timbral combinations for the ears, especially once we get to the contemporary composers. Although the Caplay work, too, has some pretty interesting Mm. harmony in it. All of the compositions after the Sansons are intriguing and provide an array of enticing sounds. I especially like the concept of the Silk Road, Kaverndock's composition. He orchestrates the melodies appealingly, and there's plenty of variety in the ten movements to express the variety and stark difference of culture in the country's past through. Putting Carabay's composition last rather makes the album end on a depressing note, but it's an interesting composition nonetheless. I would have put it somewhere else, though. I think maybe before the Silk Road. Anyway, give your imagination a lift and listen to this, I would say.
0: This whole thing comes off as a real wonderful woodwind tone exhibition. It's very picturesque. It's definitely a journey on the Silk Road, and you get to go on the Ear Candy Expressway. I really loved all the tones, especially the the oboe and clarinets on this recording.
1: The Ear Candy Expressway. Can I take that every day when I go to work? Sounds great to me. Okay, over on the
0: jazz side, we're going to make our first stop in Denmark. Now, we've heard a lot of really good Danish jazz. A good place to be for jazz. We found, you know, sometimes Scandinavian jazz has sort of a non-rhythmic and kind of gloomy reputation. But we haven't found that in Denmark, and we're not going to find that on this recording. We've got a debut, actually, and the title reflects that. It's called Introducing Jeppe Sacco. It's on April Records and Music came out. January 12th. Osako has been a hard-working saxophonist and educator in Copenhagen, performs regularly in acts including the Jazz Five, the Counter Fictionals, Jack Street, and various big bands. And here's his debut. He's a seasoned player though and composer and this is his dream quintet and they're going to go into bop and beyond. That's what the notes say and that's true. There's a little bit of uh, good 60s vibe going on here and a lot of fresh things as well. And I get to work on my Danish pronunciation, so.
1: Wow. Did you actually kind of try to I did. Yeah. look these up? Really? <laughs> I did, tried to look wow. up so that I didn't mess them up, too. We, we need Danish friends here in we do. Kyoto. They've got to be around. <laughs> <laughs> so you have
0: Sago <laughs> on tenor saxophone and compositions here. Jonas Du on trumpet and flugelhorn. Thomas Borno, piano. Anders Fjöste, bass. Henrik Holst Hansen on drums. And Ilil Lazo on congas, on two tracks that we're going to hear here, and that adds a lot of atmosphere. I'll point that out as we go along. recording starts out with self-express. We get started with an anticipation building intro of repeating four measure descending syncopated piano and bass lines for 16 measures over some intense drums. There's a 16 measure snaking unison horn line. Another eight measures of the bass and piano and then another section of horn lines before Saco is up for a solo. Let's hear this recording get going. Sacco's off on his solo there, and he's got a husky tone, bouncy swinging bluesy phrases, and Hansen feeds the solo rhythms with energetic drum fills. Borno follows on piano, also bluesy and bouncy with some rapid-fire repeated notes. He builds it up into some more percussive dissonant chords. The opening bass and piano idea returns for eight measures, and then we get the horn sections consecutively with no interlude this time. That goes into some drum solo time for Hanson, and into a final new 16 measure section of horn lines to end it. It's fun, familiar, but also really fresh. Makes a good opener. Track two is called Loyal Soldiers, and here's a real fun one. A cool Latin beat with a snappy bass line. There's an eight measure intro. Notice that it's in 5-8 time. The melody has slinky minor horn lines. It's an A-A-B-A 32 measure form, but get ready for the switch up to six beats on the B section. Let's hear it as well. hang around and hear some of Sako's sax solo on this one that keeps the meter change-ups as it goes along. Next there, sounds like on Flügelhorn with a nice mellow tone and chilled approach. Borno gets a piano solo on this one as well. There's a little interlude for Elio Lazo to work some congas with the drums before another run through the horn melody with a repeated and nicely stretched out final phrase. Track 3, Rendezvous, a funky and unpredictable one here. There's an eight-measure rhythm section intro before the horns come in with cool horn lines that break off into harmonies and tensions. After 32 measures, things chill out and slow down for an interlude before getting back to a final funky section. Let's hear it get going until that change up. back out into the original tempo there. And Stock so goes up first for an energetic, rhythmic solo with some shrieking in it as well. Do goes next, starting over just Hanson's funky beat, and he gets some chromatic explorations and nice tension built up in a long and well-structured trumpet solo. They wrap it up with another run through the horn sections and some repeats of the final descending horn lick that you heard there that gets soft until just the bass is left to end it.
1: Yeah, all these tracks have great grooves to them, too. I mean, this album's really got me going already. It sounds really interesting. Yeah. Track four, El Bravado, another
0: fun Latin groove tune here. Bass starts it out for eight measures, add conga for eight more, and then the rest of the rhythm section for 16 measures. There's an AABA horn melody of 16 measure sections with an eight measure groove section between the two A parts. The horns trade off shorter and shorter solo phrases here, working up to simultaneous improvisations. Let's hear some of that interaction on this tune. Over then on piano, and then it's conga and drum time while keeping the hypnotic bass going. The horns return on the B section of the melody into the final A melody to close it out. Track 5 is called Omnivore, an interesting six beat feel for this one. After an eight measure rhythm section intro, the horn melody is interesting. It's a 32 measure melody of eight measure sections that start similarly but end with different harmonic twists and slinking syncopation. Let's hear a little bit of that once it gets going. Sako solos with Du joining in for some interaction before continuing on his own solo, and Felsa gets a rhythmic bass solo that's really cool on this tune, so let's skip ahead a little bit and hear some of that bass. so back to the horn lines and then some final bass groove to end up the tune. Track 6, the sweet one. This is a ballad that has really nice horn line interchanges. Curiously, it starts out rubato and stays that way for about a minute and 20 seconds. It gets into tempo for just 8 measures before it spins out rubato again until the final 8 measures which are in tempo and has kind of a rather unresolved ending. It's pretty and quite unique and the recording ends up with Bulo's Way. Four measures of brushed drum toms bring in the flowing beboppy melody. It's 32 measures with two 16 measure halves into a break for Du's solo, which is lyrical and flowing. So let's hear some of his solo on this tune. solo getting going too, sounding all effortlessly swinging. Borno goes on from his solo on piano next, and Felsio has a go on bass too for another round of the melody, which wraps it up unresolved. Well, it's short and sweet, leaving us wanting more at just 39 minutes, but a fine debut from Sacco the final tune sounding most traditional. There are other hints of 60s funky jazz and lots of Latin rhythms, but it's not a nostalgic recording. Sacco has a modern sense of composition and his tunes have interesting structures, unexpected harmonic twists and rhythmic and meter variety. His playing is swinging, full toned and assured. Due is a fine match on the well thought out horn lines on his trumpet, Tight rhythm section too, and your ear will be drawn often to Hanson's percolating drum ideas. This one put me in a good mood right away.
1: Yeah, me too. The drums were really the thing that uh, yeah. you know grabbed me. He's a really kind of heavy drummer and gets he really mm. grabs the spotlight. And I think he really drives a lot of the other players too. They all sound right. big and bold and fantastic because of him. The album is called Introducing Yeppe Zacho. The first thing I thought is Zeppe, nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> let's 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 hear some more. Yeah, we don't mention this enough. I like the old school album cover on this album. Yeah, it's nice. He's also got kind of an old school haircut on it, mm-hmm. so it kind of it looks like a record that came from the '50s or something. It's really lively. Rhythm is definitely in the foreground. I was really getting into the grooves and really the hard hitting drums too. I really like that in jazz, and you know when yeah. I, it's rare, so it's even better because it's so rare. I thought this had kind of a. Yeah, it had an old-school feel with new kind of ideas. Right. Yeah, and I mentioned the drummer a lot. Everybody responds, I feel like, to him. There's only one ballad on this album, too. They kind of had to have one on there. Yeah, just one. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I guess it's good you get to see a little, hear a little variety there. But everything moves. else moves at at least mid-tempo. It's short at 39 minutes. I really wish it was longer because it's so interesting. But it's very worthwhile. I would highly recommend it.
0: Check it out. Hopefully we'll yeah. hear some more from him soon.
1: Yeah. This is one the first album this year that I checked for a CD, and doesn't look like there is one. Although I didn't check at Bandcamp or anything, so I don't know.
0: All right, we're going to jump over to the Cellar Live label with Charles Play! Exclamation point! And he is playing on the cover. We got a little sketch in his uh, school days. uh, (laughs) Clothes are beautiful. You get the
1: impression this um, title is something that his uh, parents used to say to him, or something. Right. This is Charles Chen we're speaking about,
0: pianist. This recording came out January twelfth. Charles Chen's from Cupertino, California. He's performed or recorded with Billy Drummond, Bob Shepard, Roy McCurdy, Ralph Moore, who we'll hear here, Peter Washington and Kenny Washington, we're going to hear them here as well. He studied with, check out this list of teachers, Andy Laverne, David Hazeltine, Mike Ladone, David Kikoski, and Michael Weiss. Good God. (laughs) Like all of our favorite That's a list of all of our
1: favorite (laughs) (laughs) pianists. Yeah.
0: And uh, Charles won first place at the 2019 Jazz Search West competition. Outside of music he performs magic as well and he works as a software engineer. So Charles Chen on piano, Ralph Moore on tenor saxophone. He's an interesting character as well with an interesting background. He was born in England. His father was in the U.S. military, took up the tenor sax at the age of 14, came to Boston in the 70s and he attended the Berklee College of Music. He played with Horace Silver, Roy Haynes, Daryl Grant, Dizzy Gillespie's reunion band, Freddie Hubbard, Gene Harris, as well and from the mid-1990s he was part of Kevin Eubanks band for The Tonight Show. Rounding out the ensemble, we've got the great Peter Washington on bass and Kenny Washington on drums, who we often hear with Bill Sharlap and others, and when they're on your team, you can't go wrong at all, and uh, they're going to help make this album really cool. We're going to start out track one, How About You, music by Burton Lane, 1941, from the MGM musical film Babes on Broadway. And the (laughs) wonder why they don't remake that one. Really? (laughs) So the uh notes say this features ensemble hits and cool chords reminiscent of a Cedar Walton arrangement. You'll get the feeling that Cedar Walton is one of his big influences. Here they give it a choppy and bouncy eight measure intro with the trio in an introduction before more comes in on the thirty-two measure melody. They keep the choppy feel going with drum accents before switching up to a walking swing from the ninth measure and then back again. After the melody, they had a longer 18 measure transition section with rising and falling bass and left-hand piano figures for more to blow over before a solo break for Chen. Let's hear his solo get going here for a sense of his piano style once the tune gets going. Sounds pretty swinging, melodic, and classy to me. More follows with a swinging solo that balances smooth flowing lines with some speedy rhythmic figures. Once more around the melody and into the extra section. This time Kenny Washington gets to add some fills before the final sax phrase. Track 2. Some more standard territory here. Be My Love. Music by Nicholas Brodsky. From the motion picture, The Toast of New Orleans, 1950 a four-measure intro with syncopated piano chords, and then this one gets a bossa treatment. The structure is a little different on this tune with a 16-measure A section taken by Moore and the 20-measure B section taken by Chen perform Moore returns for a solo. Let's hear it get going. Washington's really making that light clicky rhythm interesting and attractive with all those little fills. Chen takes a solo too, and that comes out smooth and relaxed over the even beat, but gets some fun, choppiness, and speedy lines. More in Chen trade phrases of fours before getting back to the melody with a little coda ending for more to join in on. Track three, Peter and the Big Bad Wolf. This is one of Chen's originals. He says, I wrote Peter and the Big Bad Wolf after being inspired by both Prokofiev's menacing wolf theme and the iconic Art Blakey shuffle. So put Hmm. those together. I know you're gonna want to hear this. Uh, The melody features an exciting cat and mouse, Peter and the Wolf chase between the saxophone and the bass. It's a lot of fun right from the intro into the 32 measure AABA minor melody where more takes over on the B section. So let's hear this one get going. shuffle because it sounds really cool (laughs) Chen solos first with a nice sense of space but let's skip ahead and hear Moore's bluesy solo on this one Into the melody from there, and a final vamping chord section for more to do some more blowing and wailing to a fade out. Very cool tune. Track 4, These Foolish Things Remind Me of You, music by Jack Stretchy. Chen says, For a long time playing ballads was my biggest blind spot, and during COVID I worked on improving the depth of my harmonies, my piano touch, and my lyricism. So here we've got a rubato solo piano opening. Peter and Kenny Washington join in light and seamlessly as Chen guides it into tempo. Peter Washington takes over on the B section of the melody with a ringing melodic bass. Chen works his improvisations for a time over the repeating A section and B section before getting back to the melody. Let's hear some of the results of that ballad work he's been putting in on this tune. he's got it down pretty well by now. Yeah, I really loved this actually. I thought it was a really beautiful play. Classy ending two with some final trickles and descending lines. Track five, cool little title, Swing State, which is a contrafact or tune built on the harmonic structure of Indiana or Back Home Again in Indiana. Song composed by James Hanley way back in 1917 that became a jazz standard. It's also the basis for Charlie Parker's Donna Lee. They've got sax, piano, and bass working the melody. Stop time over some great snare skittering from Kenny Washington. Moore's up first to solo, and things are really swinging over a really tight bass walk from Peter Washington. Chen gets in some speedy rising and falling lines in his solo too, and Kenny gets some tasty drumming time before they hit the melody again. Speaking of Charlie Parker, track six, Passport, one of his tunes, it's a loping, altered chord 12 bar blues melody, and Moore takes it around twice before continuing on into a solo. It's a great tempo for laying back bluesy or getting some blistering double time licks. Tasty backing chords from Chen here, and a fine solo as well with relaxed bluesy phrases and ringing chords. They break it up with some stop time behind Moore the last time around the melody. Trek 7, Chopin. It's a Chen original. He says he wrote it after his teacher, Andy Laverne, challenged him to write a song that only uses the Dorian and Lydian modes. It's a slow brooding waltz where Ralph's sax wails like a ghost while the rest of the band crawls like a slow spider. The band briefly stops after each chorus reminiscent of a recurring nightmare. That's from the notes. Well, It is a unique sound. The courses are 16 measures and from the ninth bar, piano chords and bass get an eighth note motion together which contrasts with the brooding sax lines. Let's check it out. <laughs> continues on soloing in a meandering fashion after the melody, and Chen's solo has spacious ringing notes and unhurried lines, and more returns for a final melody chorus. Track eight, a Chen original Golson, and it's his homage to the great composer Benny Golson. He says, with wandering quarter and half note melodies, a logical bass line and some light ensemble hits. From the notes. While well, Moore's tone sounds nice on this melody that has pickup notes and stop time in the rhythm section and spots, it seems to have two sections of 12 measures and then 16 measures. Moore's off on a solo. Let's check out his playing on this tune once it gets going. Anticipation, with those short phrases keep pushing you forward. There, Chen Solo builds up energy nicely too on this tune with repeated rhythmic phrases, and Moore's back for the finishing melody. And the recording's going to end up with a track by Cedar Walton, "Simple Pleasure." This is from a 1992 recording. It was released in 1993. The group's name was Eastern Rebellion. Cedar Walton on piano, Ralph Moore here on tenor saxophone on that recording as well, David Williams on bass, and Billy Higgins on drums. Kenny Washington really powers this one along right from the opening drums. There's a 10 measure intro of syncopated chords, and then more is in on a 32 measure melody that has two similarly starting halves. Then there's a four measure syncopated transition section, and a repeat of the melody and transition this time into a solo from Moore. He's energetic with a lot of double-time licks, but let's check out Chen's solo on this one after that. melody there, but just one more time this time, sticking on the syncopated section for some final drum bursts to wrap it up. And that's it. Cedar Walton's influence and great teachers have given Charles Chen a classy style that has a nice balance of everything. Swinging solo lines of melodic improvisation, good chord backing ideas, and a nice touch on ballads. We get some standards, interesting originals, and a Walton composition as well. Moore's expert muscular tenor sound often takes the lead here, and there are no better rhythm section mates to have than Peter and Kenny Washington to really snap out these tunes. Let's hope that Chen keeps at it, and
1: we get to hear some more of his playing. Nice work, Charles Chen. It's a very pleasant and gently swingy album, and I really like the uh, full tone in the sax, who Mm. he plays in the middle of his range for most of his solos, and that really caught my ear too. He just kind of likes that sound. Chen has a lot of warmth in these foolish things that really so that he said nice, that yeah. he was uh, working on that well it was work well done He yeah. sounds great really nice and warm put me in a good place and he's got this gentle swing on the other this light sort of swing yeah. on all the other tracks it's just really great the moody Chopin stood out for its contrasts on this but otherwise the rest of the album feels uh, really good yeah and really put me in a good place I really enjoyed it
0: yeah really nice uh, piano playing there so hope yeah. we do some more recording yeah Hmm. All right, and the final album, another pianist that we really love and never get tired of hearing, that's Justin Coughlin. This is his newest recording live at Sam First on Sam First Records. This also came out January 12th. So at 37 years old, Justin Coughlin's has already produced 10 albums as a leader. He's been on more than 30 other recordings as a sideman or guest artist. He's recorded 48 original compositions for his own records and film. On this recording, he's on piano. Most of the compositions are his. David Robert on bass. Mark Ferber on drums. This was recorded live at Sam First in Los Angeles on October 2nd and 3rd, 2021. Paul Solomon is the executive producer, also took the cover photograph. David Robert, the bassist, is the producer. We've got Stuart Schenk, recording and mixing engineer, and Nick Calapine. Assistant recording engineer Gene Paul at GJ Audio is the mastering engineer. Starts out with a little intro. It's a short solo opening piece, repeated notes, and rubato trickles get bass pulses and drum brush textures. It's very dreamy, developing into more ripples of piano before subsiding and connecting into the first tune, which is Coming Home. And this is from 2018 Coming Home record of that title. A light rhythmic piano opening gets joined by bass and drums for a nine-measure intro. It's a lot more flowing than the album version that has kind of a rockier beat. The tune is an AABA construction with an extra measure in the B section, and Coughlin continues on with improvised ideas. Let's hear a bit of his dazzling runs and chords on this tune once it gets going. Things come down quiet for a bass solo from Roberto that has a lot of melodic movement and soft but clear attacks. Coughlin brings back the melody, but this time from the B section Ferber gets to work up the drums, and then Coughlin brings some Latin vamping into chiming chords, pushing it to the end. Track three is Exodus. This is from his 2010 recording, introducing Justin Coughlin. A solo piano start that ebbs and flows with energetic moving lines. It eventually gets into tempo, on the Longing minor 32 measure melody. Robert has worked up a pulsing bass underneath and works that into a bass solo. Let's hear some of what he does on this tune on the bass. Coughlin from there for a rhythmically energetic solo with some interesting synced up two-hand line ideas and an agitated left hand working with Ferber's pulsing drums. It works up to a big climax before they bring it back soft for the melody and some interesting rhythmic play from Coughlin that softens to the end. Track 4 Cole Porter's You Do Something To Me, a little standard territory here from the 1929 musical 50 Million Frenchmen. This is a pretty famous tune, probably heard Sinatra's version of it as well, so let's hear how Coughlin gets it going in his own way, playfully. Mm -hmm. keeps that playful sense going on in his solo in this tune, swinging along, adding percussive chords and free-running lines. Robert has a great chugging bass line walking it underneath, and gets a ringing melodic solo of his own. Coughlin trades eights with Ferber into some extended drum soloing, working into some soft piano chord and bass movement, before getting into some more building piano improvisations, rather than actually getting back to the melody strictly, and the crowd really likes it. Track 5 is Candy, Now this is not on his 2019 Christmas Candy recording, but I remember in the notes there, he mentioned that Candy is his retired seeing eye dog. So maybe this is uh, dedication, but I'm not sure because it doesn't say in the notes here. Anyway, it's a solo piano piece. It has a kind of sparse start and stop intro. It gets into tempo for the melody, I'm not sure about the total structure here, but there's a repeating 8 measure A section that has a hymn-like quality to it, then contrasting sections turning more minor in spots, and Coughlin uses an interval bass idea that he builds off from into improvisations. You really need to hear the whole arc of how he develops this, but let's just pop in and see what happens a little bit into the tune, because there's a lot of interesting things happening. A bit after that, right before five minutes in, he returns to the melody with more of a full-chord accompaniment and then he brings it to a soft and slowed ending. Track six is Tempest. This is from his 2015 recording dedication. This one is in a 7-8 meter and has hypnotic rippling left-hand lines that get it started. The melody seems to develop for about 24 measures before getting more sparse and ringing and Kaufman works delicate rhythmic improvisations backed by nice cymbal decorations and fills from Ferber and they work it into a more intense driving and then percussive explosion let's hear some of that once we get into the tune then kind of dissipates and it comes down soft over bass tones from Robert into a solo bass ending, and there are no applause, and the bass continues straight on into the opening of the next tune, which is called No Matter, also from 2015's Dedication album, and that bass sets up a dotted kind of half note bass line for the waltz tempo. After eight measures, Coffin starts to sprinkle in notes lightly for another 16 measures before introducing the melody. It's got a soft gospel nature in an AABA form of 16 measure sections. The B section modulates and ends in a suspended chord kind of turnaround back into the A and the bass and drums have a solid slow groove going, but Coughlin's improvisations are rippling out and can't be constrained to the rhythms until he locks in with more percussive chords and tremolos. It suddenly becomes soft and quiet again to a slightly swelling ending. Track eight is Country Fried, this is from last year's Danish Rain with Thomas back, which was one of our best picks of the last year's jazz recordings. I remembered this tune. Uh, The melody has interesting moving chords and a Beatles-like quality, something like I'll follow the sun mixed with Bach and a little bit of country. (laughs) That really kicks in once it gets going. There's a repeating 10 measure section and then a three measure transition of chords. And then we're into a 12-bar blues with a down-home country kind of bounce to it. And Ferber is doing some really nice drum work here. So let's check this tune out as it gets going. going now. Coffin Soul here is exciting and gets out for some harmonic exploration, so let's skip ahead and listen to a little bit of that as well while we're here. uh, He keeps on playing right through, connecting it back to the melody for a final run through to an exciting finish of Piano Flourishes. Track 9, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. This is from his uh, 2017 Christmas recording, Silent Night. This is a hymn with words originally by British hymnist Robert Robinson from 1758. In the U.S., the hymns usually set to an American folk tune known as Nettleton. And the nettle tune, tune, interestingly, is also used either partially or in full quotation by Charles Ives in the A section of his third movement of his string quartet Number 1. So classical music listeners may know that from there as well. It's another solo piano piece. Coughlin starts it gently, concentrating on new harmonization possibilities. But after two minutes, he brings in more gospel sentiment with more forceful swell. But then he brings it down, tying it into the last tune on the album, bringing it into a waltz tempo. And that is Thank You, Lord, his original tune from 2015's Dedication. So Robert and Ferber join in on the gospel waltz that he's got going. It's subtle and full of feeling. The melody is an AABA 32 measure form, and then Robert is up for a bass solo that gets singing out up high on the instrument. But let's hear what Coughlin does himself on this solo from a little bit after four minutes into the tune. Well, a pianist I never tire of hearing. Coughlin's always inventive solos, swinging, free-flowing, and bringing in more pop and gospel influences in certain tunes and spots. Here we get a selection of his original compositions from previous releases, one Cole Porter standard, and some heartfelt religious songs. There's a real spontaneous feeling in the air, and you'll be surprised at the directions the music goes sometimes great bass playing and production from Robert, and ferber's drumming adds a lot of excitement it's a very entertaining live recording and i think it'll put you
1: in good spirits yeah the good spirits is what i picked up this entire album has this light positive vibe it's kind of like a radiator diffusing heat subtly into the room and nevertheless it's warming up you know yeah but you don't notice it Calflin's playing has a way of taking away all your more negative thoughts without you noticing it happening, like that radiator mm. bringing heat into the room. Um, he has a positive but not very excitable vibe to him when he's in the spotlight. Uh, he gives off a feeling of sureness and quiet, modest confidence throughout the album, uh, yeah. the sort of thing that gospel music exudes, and he's heavily influenced by gospel, right. and he ends the, the album with uh, gospel-sounding tracks. There are a few others, too. We really hear that feel throughout, and it really gets into you and it makes you stand yeah, up a does. little straighter. I kind of felt myself kind of... My back straightening as I listen to this album with confidence, you know, with kind of like a feeling of well-being. It's heavily gospel influenced. There's a lot of straightforward jazz, too, on this album. Calflin has a clean sounding, modest approach. This album just feels good all the way through, like a constant hand on your shoulder, steadying you. I really liked it. I just hope he
0: puts out a new album uh, every year because I'm always happy to hear it. Always happy to hear it,
1: too. I liked him with uh, Thomas Faunusbake, too. We talked about that. Really nice Raining album. album. Yeah. So good. Yeah.
0: Because, you know, Faunusbake is such a fabulous bass player. You don't need drums, really. He could do everything in the rhythm section there. So the interplay on that was really nice, the extra right. space. That wraps up episode 149. And we're on top of things this week. Mike, we've already got next week's planned out. I've Im- got all my links and that. everything ready to go. So
1: w- w- give us a little preview of uh, Classical for next week. Yeah, I'm all twenty twenty four next week. You know, this week I was two out of three twenty twenty four. Right. I don't have any baroque still. I'm still waiting for a lot oh, okay. that to come out. There's a new recording of Namierevi, not Pavo now. His right. father Neme Yervi, who's got to be an elder statesman of classical music now. Right. Conducting the Estonian National Symphony Orchestra in music of Eduard Lalo, whose music we don't hear. So much, much on, yeah. you know, full C, you know, we don't f- hear CDs, um, or albums dedicated solely to his music. So I'm kind right. of excited to hear that. And we've got songs by one of the great, uh, Italian songwriters, Francesco Paolo Tosti of the late 19th century, early 20th century. Mm-hmm. And that's by, uh, Javier Camarena, who did, a uh, an album of Donizetti aria's, um, I think a year or two years ago that was pretty special so I was really curious to hear this and really thrilled that he picked uh, an entire album of Tosti's songs. I'm curious to see whether that'll be too much of a good thing (laughs) but we'll find out. And the other thing I've got is Mendelssohn and a few contemporary composers too. A cello works with uh, two musicians we like a lot Sol Gabetta on the cello and Mm -hmm. Bertrand Chamayou on the piano and uh, we'll hear those next week. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. On the
0: jazz side I've got Trombonist David Gibson's new recording, Fellowship, that's got some really intense original compositions and it's just a quartet which is heavy lifting for a trombonist and he's going to carry that uh, recording along being the center. So I've had a couple listens of that and it was pretty uh, intense and interesting so that'll be the first recording. And Then we've got a debut on uh, OA2 records. Japanese-American trumpeter Jun Ida and his new Evergreen. So looking forward to checking that out. And then we're going to have a live recording. Bassist Gerald Cannon's Live at Dizzy's Club, the music of Elvin and McCoy. So Elvin Jones and McCoy Tyner. And that's on Woodnick Records, his label. And we've got a bunch of monster players on there, including Dave Kakoski, Steve Teray, Joe Lovano, and some others. And so there should be some pretty intense good jazz with vibes from the 60s coming out there. All right. So if you want to get listening on those recordings ahead of time, I'll have that playlist up shortly after this episode gets published. You can also find a link to that on Deezer from our Facebook page as
1: well. I certainly want to hear those albums before we we publish that recording, but I have to. So there you go. It works (laughs) out for me. Right.
0: Thanks, as always, to Fast Signs of Staten Island for our glowing neon logo. Be sure to check out the Same Difference to Jazz Fans, One Jazz Standard Podcast. There's a link in the description, and their audio will come on as we sign out here. It's been a really interesting Silk Road trip in this uh, classical episode.
1: It's nice to dust myself off after being on the Silk Road for so long. I get to (laughs) relax in my easy chair. Yeah, sounds good. Next week's record, some Western comforts as well.
0: (laughs) All right, everyone. So we'll see again next week for the official regular episode 150. Until then, keep listening and we'll see you again next time.
1: Same difference. Two jazz fans, one jazz standard. A review of a single jazz standard through music, history, and stories. And this is AJ. And this is Johnny. If you are a jazz fan and you like jazz standards,